Hi there, it's John Pryle. We've got a great episode for you today, but before we get to it, I wanted to let you know two things. First, you may have noticed that we have a new look. We're always trying to increase the quality of our podcast, and this small upgrade to our artwork is one way of doing that. The second thing is that we've created a totally new podcast called Impact in Five. Basically, it takes our favorite episodes of the Impact Podcast and distills them down into five-minute shows that are really easy to consume. Want to get an overview of the blockchain in five minutes? Want to know how to hire A players into your data science organization in five minutes? Want to take five minutes and understand the business benefits of machine learning? Then check out Impact in Five. And as always, if you like what we're doing, please give us a star rating on iTunes, or better yet, write a short review. You can also like or follow us on SoundCloud, or how about telling your colleagues? Thanks so much, and now here's the show. Here at the Impact Podcast, we bring you practical approaches to some very strategic technical trends. I'll be talking with David Court, a director and senior partner in McKinsey and Company's Dallas office. David is the newest member of Georgian's advisory board, and we're pleased to be chatting with him today about technology and its impact on a company's operations. Welcome to the Impact Podcast. I'm John Pryle. So, David, look, you've seen it all with your 30 years, uh, the evolution from centralized computing to distributed computing to the PC area to the cloud. So can you talk about what you've seen over the years? And if you're sitting across the desk from a young CEO, what would you tell him or her about what's different and, and what to be thinking about? My number one thing is that the combination of information and technology has gone from essentially a control mechanism, a scorecarding mechanism to something which has become a management tool and process that is on its way to being something that is either truly assist or even replace tasks done by people. Now, the, the reason that that is so important, if you think about uh, information technology merely being a, a control, to be honest with you, there's not much competitive advantage. There's, there's a, a, an embarrassment if you don't have control, you get surprises on earnings or customer experience, but it's not competitive advantage. The moment that the information and technology is a, a better way to manage your business, then the companies that learn how to exploit it actually have advantage. So it's, it's clearly not a tool anymore. Now it's a really a value-add resource. Totally. But, but one of the things about it being, as you say, a value-added resource is the amount you get out of it is now dependent on the quality of the leadership and management of it. You see, in, in, in a control mechanism, you know, you just let your CFO or your CIO do it and everybody else, it doesn't matter. They don't influence what you get out of the data and technology that you have. The moment it's a management tool, a well-run management team takes advantage of it, and, uh, and a less good management team fails to. And therefore, it's a, real, it's, it's a much more of a burden back on the management team. So this becomes much more of a board-level item than somebody might think then. Is that fair to say? I totally agree. It is, first and foremost, it is an issue for the entire C-suite. There is no one in the C-suite that is, uh, can, can say, I, that's not really, doesn't matter to me. Just simply doesn't exist anymore. Therefore, by definition, it is now a, uh, a board issue 
And uh, I'll give you one example uh, in a board discussion where we were talking about uh, from a, a internal audit perspective, you look at processes and expenditures and, and somebody raised the question. Now we've got all these algorithms that we've built. Who is making sure that those are high quality and have compliance the way we do with every other part of the business from an internal audit standpoint? And the answer is nobody is doing that. So boards are now, it's just one simple example of boards having to understand this and uh, start to get involved in it. Particularly, uh, I would think in whatever the audit side is and whatever the uh, I'll call it strategy or growth side is. So where would a CEO start then? And, and, and what kind of training they require to begin to think about this separately? Because I'm not sure, depending on if it's a business or a technically oriented CEO, algorithms and how you know, what's coming out of the sausage maker is a bit of a challenge at times to them. By the way, that is a great question. And, uh, and, and here's why. I believe that with the advances that we've had in the last five years, and I would point to cloud and what that can do, cost structure, I would point to analytics and what that could do, and I would point to the ability to redo businesses from uh, exploiting the digital. Five years ago, even, I think there was some basic stuff that a CEO needed to know, and that was good enough. They could rely on their CIO. The, The guys I know, that are CEOs of big Fortune 500 companies, particularly where they're in data-intensive industries, airlines, uh, retail, et cetera, healthcare. They are, what they're telling us is they just need to be much deeper, much deeper in, in how this stuff works to the point I'm, I'm talking about somebody spending, a CEO spending eight, 10 days a year just keeping fresh on all the changes that are happening uh, from a technological standpoint. Now, in terms of uh, building a staff then, so you're going to look about your, this, the whole C-suite's got to get deeper on this elements. And then where do you think we're going to begin to push some of this analytics focus and management of processes within a company? I'll tell you what I believe in and I don't believe in, and you'll see where I go and what you should do. I am not a believer in open-ended, unstructured data approaches. And in my experience to see them clients and some stuff that I've done internally at McKinsey, uh, I think there's more risk involved in that, that you'll actually come up with something that can have what I'll call impact at scale. The other approach is to get your management team, your C-suite, give them a sense of the possibilities, which are considerable, and then say, so if we think about these possibilities, where is the greatest business leverage from exploiting this. So in a, in a retailer, as an example, is it on pricing? Is it on relationship management? Is it on supply chain? Is it on uh, store management? You know, and, and then the ability to, to just reconceptualize how in an analytic or digital heavy approach, you could redo the way you're doing it. That's where the big leverage is. So then you say, well, what do you need to do with your C-suite? Well, they do need to have a basic understanding of what's possible. But it's more almost a process of getting them out of their historic ways of doing things to, to start to exploit this for, for, for new approaches, which is why, the, to be honest, the attackers right now 
are doing so well uh, versus the incumbents. And then if that C-suite knows stuff and challenges and pushes down, uh, the skill set is in in a single department. You're probably looking for these skill sets to be pushed down and kind of scattered throughout an organization to the whole company. Uh, What's the sense of that? Yeah, yeah, another question. So um, uh, I'm a big believer that there is a analytic or digital center of excellence, okay, that, that there is a group. And, and the reason for that is, in, uh, is actually attraction and retention of deep analytic talent, okay? Like, in other words, I'm not a big fan of putting, uh, you know, groups of five or 10 people in each of 15 business units. Now, having said that, the tougher challenge is now getting down in the business units. The bit, so the center of excellence creates the algorithm or redesigns your process digitally. Okay, now I've got to get the frontline managers and the executives to change the way they do things to take advantage of that. Okay, and so that's where you're right. But the, the skill set scattered through the organization is more the the management of change and the redoing of processes to take advantage of analytics as opposed to being deep, deep stats people, which I on balance would tend to put in centers of excellence. It's, it's almost like we're on that same evolution that there used to be the data warehouse, then we distributed the data marts and now everything's sitting in the cloud. So you'll, that small team is the one that's going to have to start at that point, hopefully with the richest corpus of data to work from and then push it down within these different lines of business. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Analytics tends to come happen in two ways. Either you supercharge existing managers by giving them new decision support that's analytically turbocharged, you know, instead of uh, somebody figuring out where to put store labor at different hours, you're just able to, to supercharge their decision making. At the other extreme, maybe in an area like pricing or something, you actually have are using a machine learning approach, which is actually changing the job fundamentally that 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 you no longer have to, to do what you used to do because the machine can do part of it in either of those situations there are significant organization redesign there are process changes there are uh, incentive changes and the management of all of that can never be done uh, in the central group that is that is what the business units the frontline people have to do and so you do need these we call them uh, uh, two-sport athletes. They understand the technical and the analytics, but they know how to manage a business. That, that is actually one of the great missing pieces for many companies as they try and exploit analytics. And, and I've heard you do a pretty cool video, but so wh- where would you say, what's the very first thing a CEO needs to do? So the very first thing the CEO needs to do is make sure he or she has spent enough time with his C-suite that they are aligned on the fundamental way that their business can change uh, by taking advantage of this. That the, the, uh, unfortunately, without alignment, a lot of this doesn't happen. The next thing up we would typically say is pick two or three areas where you believe your business can most be changed strategically and operationally by the use of uh, digital analytic technology. So, is it pricing? Is it supply chain? Is it scheduling? Is it uh, plant optimization? Whatever those, find those that have the biggest bang for the buck and then start your analytics or digital journey on two or three areas, not trying to do it across the company. I'll pick an example of a uh, uh, 
an airline and the person in each uh, in, in each airport or station, as they're called, trying to make a decision in bad weather, you know, what to do with the planes and how to reorganize them and who to put on what, what, uh, what plane. It's, it's easy to understand how there's so much happening at the same time that uh, predictive models can help. You, you know, everybody goes, okay, yeah, of course that would happen. But if the data that comes at that poor person managing this, he's not sure uh, that the data is accurate. It comes at them in some complex algorithm as opposed into a, a, a simple uh, way he could use it. It doesn't suggest to him the decisions or options that he or she has. It just shows the analytic input. What they're going to do under pressure is return to their old way of doing it. And so the requirement to have the right process work through, to do the right training, to make sure that whatever the application that sits on top of the analytics has a very high user acceptance, uh, usability, all of those things are every bit as important as the underlying sophistication of the, of the model. Now, obviously, data cleanliness is a big deal as well. I, I don't want to I don't want to minimize that because it is a huge uh, issue. But, but I'm, I'm sort of assuming you've, you've learned how to tackle that issue, then you get this need for sophisticated models or algorithms, but then dealing with the process and people changes. So you've got to make it clear. We've got to make sure it's actionable to the teams. Exactly. Which, which, is help, which is help, by the way. The moment you say the purpose of this is to make my, my business better strategically and financially, it, it forces you to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you, 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 everybody knows if you don't have actionability, you're not going to get impact. The moment you focus on the purpose of the analytics or digital is impact, it forces the actionability you're talking about. Right. We focus, we make sure we understand the process and the process that we're improving. So one of the cool things as you evolved in your career, McKinsey, was you did a lot of analytics at one point. And the, 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 I kind of like the title that you've been working on lately is this digital first thought. Uh, so could, could you share with us how that in your mind has evolved from just analytics? Sure. So, um, and obviously there is a, there is an overlap. If, if I took the period between 2010 and 2013, what I was doing at McKinsey was really about building our ability to harness big data and sophisticated analytics. You know, we were, uh, where are we going to focus? We did a lot of hiring of people. We changed career tracks. We did a lot of out with clients of, uh, uh, um, piloting and then rolling out new approaches. Then in 2014, I was our managing director, a guy named Dominic Barton, had a view that he wanted to try and digitize core parts of McKinsey. Okay. And, and that was this thing called digital first or digitizing our firm. And it was a very interesting exercise to go back and think about the way that we do some of our core things, how we staff our people, how we communicate to our clients, uh, how we uh, reach out and pull things in from different parts of, of our firm. And to be honest with you, it really was operating through people and basic heuristics. Okay. And what we did is go back and take, again, focus. We took some of our core ways we did things and worked through to reconceptualize how to do it. And to be honest, we, there we went to some people outside of McKinsey and we went to some of our 
I'll call it very good tech thinkers, even if they weren't particularly good at, you know, kind of didn't have any experience in, in how to run basic things in our firm, because you've got to get yourself outside of your comfort zone in terms of what the range of possibilities are. And then we went, we went from there to the rather difficult task of actually doing it. It, it. it is one of the harder things that I have had to deal with because you had to get people to change that were busy and may not want to change. Any interesting war story you might be able to share with us, a good example for us? Yes. Uh, so uh, the war story, I tell you, we, we had a thing that was a, in a way a very simple concept, which is McKinsey as a firm produces more knowledge, intellectual property than I think we, we do more than the top 10 business schools combined. I mean, it's an unparalleled amount. And, and the idea was simply that we would allow a partner or person to say, here's the people that my clients, here's what I think they're interested in. And you can imagine tagging it. And when, when the knowledge comes out, it tells you that it's here. It suggests an email. You click and off it goes. Brilliant, brilliant idea. The number of barriers that we faced from a technical perspective, to duplicate what a partner's mind was going through was 3x what I thought it would be. And we, I won't describe who we were using, but we started with a very good existing platform from a software provider uh, that had a very good reputation and then worked to do it. And it's just, I, I think what happens is the more complex the task is that you're trying to digitize, you, you get an exponential, like a exponential increase in the need for perfect user experience. And without that, you're, uh, you're just not going to get the adoption. So we've had to, we, we're, we're finally getting where we want to be, but it, it took us three kicks at the can. We opened it up. Well, it's interesting. We, you know, we have our 11 principles of applied analytics in, in, in our current thesis work. And the, and the hardest one is, was number 11, which was be analytical within your business. So it, it, it is a challenge to, to think that way because you're not thinking about product now. You're really only thinking about process and, and, yep. and what data do you have to improve that. So let's talk a little bit about the future. Have you, if you don't mind, kind of peering in, into your crystal ball? Uh, we've spent a great deal of time. I think these past five, six, seven years have been a phenomenal evolution of analytics and applied analytics. Uh, where do you, what do you see coming next? What do you see uh, the next five years taking us? I believe that there are going to be two things happen in the next five years that will we will look back and will have dominated the uh, uh, where the changes have. One is, I do believe that the use of machine learning to replace all or big parts of roles done by managers is going to take off in the next five years. And the reason for that is, uh, I believe that the techniques are, uh, are, are just getting so much better than they were a few years ago. And I believe that... Um, CEOs and boards, C-suites are going to look at the advantages the companies get when they've embraced this. They, they won't be able to, this isn't going to be a little change. It's going to be a significant change in a cost structure or customer experience, et cetera. And, and they're, they're all going to have to start charging in that. And I think that has many, many uh, issues that companies are going to have to deal with. Similarly, I believe there are processes that 
are going to get digitally enabled and have just tremendous changes. I can give you an example. Our banking practice does a lot of work in providing digitizing using analytics for mortgage applications. When you look at that after the fact and you say, what, what did you get out of that? We're talking about a 70, 70% cost reduction and a 2x, 3x increase in customer satisfaction. That's a, that's a binary thing. You've got it or you're, you're, you're done. You got a business. Yeah. You just, it's just merely a matter of uh, time. And I think that, that we're going to find these processes in different companies that have that level of improvement and the, and the companies that embrace it and just flip their company over to take advantage of that. They're going to be very big winners very quickly. One of my bosses, number of years ago, he said that he spent half his time on strategy, half his time on operations as he was running each business he had. Do, do we need to get a little, turn up the heat a little more on strategy right now and so companies don't get caught behind? Uh, you think uh, the CEOs today are kind of get what they, they hear enough about it? Are they, I think they hear about it, but are they doing enough about it? You see many companies, are they doing enough in this new emerging space? I think the answer is no. Strategy is a funny word. Strategy implies a analytic effort that you either do every five years for your long-term strategy or every year for your operating plan. What people have to do is to get their heads around things, CEOs now, of where's the disruption going to come from? Where, where's something going to happen that either introduces a competitor or changes the cost structure so dramatically that I can't keep up to it? Who are the partners that I have to have in my ecosystem in order to pull off what I want to do? And by the way, who the right partners are is going to change every 18 months. That's what they need to have their heads around. Is that strategy? I, I happen to think that's what strategy circa 2015 is all about. But it's linear strategic planning, the way that it used to be done. And so it's more of that thinking, but it's also doing it in a different way. And I think that's the challenge for many uh, large companies. That is a great way to finish this. I don't think we're trying to terrify people, but I think we're trying to motivate people and get them thinking about where the world is going. David Cord, thank you so much for your time. 